Canucks Central Tuesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canucks have the uh, Anaheim Ducks tonight. We'll have pregame starting up at 6 o'clock. Plus, we'll join up on Sportsnet Pacific pregame on your television screens coming at 6.30 in the lead-up to puck drop at Rogers Arena tonight. 6.50-6.50 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. That's how you get in touch with the show. Leave a comment, question, or otherwise there and we'll try to get to it through the course of the program if you are listening live we also appreciate you listening via podcast on demand anytime with your favorite podcatcher subscribe and leave a review so the vancouver canucks i'm listening to, to rick Tockett today sat and um it's starting to become a common theme of how rick Tockett is working on offense with the group and trying to generate more offense and finding new ways to generate offense. And I guess I'm, I'm kind of coming to the situation or the stage where, all right, is this just how it's going to be where this is what they are offensively and it's going to be tough at times if their star players aren't going or can they coach this team up to have a little bit more offense? I, I certainly think they can create more offense than they've created. Yeah. Like, I think in terms... And it's funny to say because they, they're the highest scoring team in the National Hockey League. It is the weirdest <laughs> thing. And, like... But, you know, the coaches sort of acknowledged it. And it's more how they generate offense at 5-on-5 five five than anything else. Listen, the coach is no fool. Yes. And uh, he understands how the season has gone. He understands the good things they've done. And he also understands the things they've done that are going to be very hard to replicate. He's not blinded by their win-loss record. No, he's not. And he keeps talking about we need to play playoff hockey. And I think it's a it's an interesting point he's trying to get across recently too, especially after this good start by the team. It's that yep. the playoffs are in our sights, but it's not just about getting there. It's about we want to be a team that gets to the playoffs, but also is successful come playoff time. And the only way we can do that is if we play the way we need to play. They are they have really good talent, as yeah. we know. They don't have an overwhelming amount of talent. No. They have, however, shored the team up with a number of really strong role players throughout the roster. And they have decent depth up front in terms of forwards at the very least. The back end, a different discussion. Yet, they're getting by to this point, right? But they have to be committed to how they play. And I do think in terms of their five-on-five play... They don't generate enough. They haven't. And if they want to sustain this beyond 23 games and get to the end of the year and perhaps be a top two or three team in, the, in this division and be a team that come playoff time, maybe just maybe actually wins a round or two or perhaps, yeah. then they have to be a team that generates more five on five and does a bit more dirty work in the offensive zone. It's uh, sticking to the staples, <laughs> the, the, uh, the old cliche of the team. Too many things beeping around me. <laughs> Got to make sure that that's off. Uh, getting all the Tiger Woods notifications after his press conference today. Um, all right. Now that that's been uh, so rudely interrupted, our conversation. The point of it all is, though, like they absolutely need to be on their game in order for them to have that level of success. And this recent run of inconsistency or consistently inconsistent yeah. is 
part and parcel with them not doing the little things that they may have been doing earlier to generate more offense. There's some adjustments going on. They're finding new ways. But ultimately, I look at the roster and I say, well, yeah, Elias Pettersson stops going and of course your offense is going to dry up a little bit. Andre Kuzmenko stops going. Of course your offense is is going to start drying up a little bit. Like Miller and Besser have still been been going for this team. The third line is pitched in with a couple of goals here and there. Fourth line, even with Nils Hoaglander, yeah, chipping in with a couple of yeah. goals here and there as well. You can't really complain about that, but it just shows how much the top end of this roster like how much they rely on the top end of this roster. They do, but but also it's one of those things where they actually have a pretty strong bottom six now. Yeah. And those guys are giving the top six at least a chance to win them hockey games. It's not like before where the top six, they had to play incredible, and then they had to get lucky as well. They needed great goaltending. I do think in terms of, yes, Pedersen, and if Kuzmenko gets going, it changes a lot of things. But the bottom six is actually doing a decent job of creating and yeah. keeping zone time in the offensive zone. It's the top guys that haven't been able to do so as much. And part of it is, I think, not being able to fully figure out who that guy is on both mm-hmm. lines that gets in on the forecheck consistently, or number two is the guy that drives towards the net consistently. And those are the two things the top six hasn't really been able to hone in on as much as they want to. Because I think I see that happening with Dakota Joshua right now with Garland and Bluger. Yeah. I see it happening with Lafferty yep. playing with Hoaglander um, and Niels Olma now that he's back and then Pew Suter's back. I think those guys are actually pretty in tune and playing that way. JT has such a tough matchup every night in terms of who he's playing against. And him and Brock have done a pretty good job, but right now they're having trouble figuring out who that third guy on that line is going to be. That's the mix that I think they have to kind of get right here a little bit. But I actually feel pretty good about what they have behind those guys in the bottom six. Is it, is the solution here? I guess is ultimately sort of the question we're going What's to keep solution? asking. What solution are you asking for? What's the solution? What, what, what are you trying to solve? Well, look, you know, Rick Tockett's already talking about going to the playoffs yeah. and honing this team in for, for playoff hockey. So if the coach is, is thinking about that to some level already, like we want to, hammer this into our team game now and into each player now so that it is second nature for them when we get to the postseason. They've given themselves a cushion in the standings that essentially says they are going to the playoffs. But does what we are seeing and how they are trying to improve this team sort of tell us what they should be looking for like are they looking for another role player are they looking for another high-end piece like what is what is the solution as they start thinking about adding the closer we get to the trade deadline in those situations so trying to win a stanley cup essentially yes so if you want to win a stanley cup you need another high-end forward you need another high-end defenseman yes and then you're truly like a you're considered a cup, cup contender but is that something you can solve this year necessarily? Like I'm mm. not, I'm not sold that it is. It's something that you'd be involved in trying to do. But that's a lot easier said than done. And all you can do, in terms of the current team, is trying to hone in on what you are. And there is a way for this team, and maybe not, you know, truly be a Stanley Cup contender. But there is one pathway for them to be successful in the postseason, and that is being fully bought into how they want to play as a team. Because mm-hmm. I think Pedersen's game is going to come around. I think Kuzmenko will be, you know, more. Uh, prolific offensively than he has been so far. 
Yeah, I think those things will get figured out a little bit here. It's can they play with the discipline they need to? And can they be dedicated to that? Because if they can, they can be a real hell of a team to play in the postseason. With that goaltending, having Quinn Hughes, having Philip Peronic, you know, if you get healthier on the back end by the end of the season, you know, you may be a very hard team to break down if you play fully dedicated. Like, we look at the, the stretch of games they've lost, right? Yeah. These past 10 games, even against San Jose. How many of these were self-inflicted losses? Oh, the major, like almost what, all of them. <laughs> the Calgary game is the only game where it was like they had no business being in that game. Yes. Like they, it was only three one on on the score sheet at the end of the night. But we know who the better team was. Yeah, they they really didn't have it that night. They, they just did not make any sort of a difference at all. Yeah, we've seen that against the Flyers as well. But that's like the two games really. Mm-hmm. They've had some bad second halves, but outside of Toronto, when they took over, they couldn't answer back. Every other loss, even against Colorado. Or the fact that you didn't get at least a point out of those some of those games where they got in their own way. Mm-hmm. Their top-end guys got in their own way. And if they have shorter shifts, they don't make bad line changes. Like, there is a template for this team, even the way they are right now, to be successful. And I think that's what the coach is really getting at. It's like, we can sit here and talk about, they need a top-six guy, they need another player here. And that's all true. But everyone needs better players, well, right? Like, how do you get past it? How do you I, figure it out? Yeah, I just... Like, I look at it, and I, I just don't see a team that needs more in the bottom six. You know what I mean? No, and that's why, like, I don't, I don't think at all they're interested in, in adding bottom six guys. Especially with, as long as Bovillia and Garland are still on the roster and those guys are playing in those roles, like, they definitely don't need more there. Well, I think that's where it gets interesting. Because even if, you, let's say, let's say like, there is a world where you move Bovillia and or Garland by yeah. the end of the season, right? Let's say you move one. Well, they have a couple of guys knocking on the glass to get in here, right? Yes. You have Suter when he gets healthy, and then it comes down to who comes out. Yes. And then let's say you get rid of Bouvillier, then whoever's out, whether it's Hoaglander or PDG, now they can get back into the lineup. Let's say you get rid of a, sec- get rid of a second guy. Well, do you need to add somebody externally, or do you come knocking on somebody down in, in the minors? Put Colson uh, when he gets healthy. Yeah, this texter, they could use a healthy Pod Colson. Right, you give him a chance when he gets healthy, maybe. Archdeep Baines, does he get a chance? For Crushing instance? it in the AHL. So to me... If you lose a couple bottom six guys, the bigger contract guys, it opens up a door for some of the internal guys. Maybe Hoaglander can now have an everyday spot. Like if Garland goes, can, can he get that spot? All of a right. sudden play 13, 14 minutes a game and be the buzzsaw on that line like Talk had mentioned today when speaking to the media. That is where you're at with your bottom six. So you have options even if you get rid of a couple of guys. I don't think they have any interest in adding any, any more bottom six players to the mix. Like you, they should feel pretty good about what they have in their bottom six right now. It's hard to not like um, how they've built out the depth right now on this team, right? They've got, you know, even last year, okay, you, you might say, okay, well, you got a little bit of scoring down there, but they didn't have enough utility in those players, right? Yeah. They didn't have enough players in the bottom six that could do a job on the penalty kill. Now, you know, their penalty kill goes six forwards deep. It starts with Elias Patterson and JT Miller. Mm-hmm. Then they'll throw out Phil DiGiuseppe and Dakota Joshua. You got Nils Oman, Teddy Bluger, Pew Suter. Like they've got a lot of forwards that have experience yeah. and are decent enough at being able to kill penalties. They didn't used to have that. So they've done a really good job, in my estimation, of developing those areas. It's more about if you're going to add something, you probably need to add something significant because otherwise i mean you have all those pieces already down there in the bottom six on defense it's a little different because right now i mean well defense you feel it more yeah you do like you don't necessarily need a role player in your bottom six mm-hmm. on defense could you could you use a legitimate third pair defenseman yes 
right? You could definitely use an Ethan Bear. That's where you could kind of come in. Now, my thing with Ethan Bear, too, is if you add him, mm-hmm. how long is it going to take for him to get up to speed? Uh, I, I don't know. You'd probably have him in Abbotsford for a conditioning stint, would you not? At the very least, so that's a couple games. So that's two weeks. But considering he's barely had any, he hasn't played. Yeah, is that going to be enough? Mm-hmm. And is he going to be a better option than what you have internally for a guy who's missed seven months? But you could probably work him into games, especially you know we've seen Mark Friedman now playing 11, 12, 13 minutes a night for a while. Sure, but it's like Mark Friedman who's like played in the NHL. You're like I'm just yes. I'm just asking the question: How long is it going to take for you to get Ethan Bear to a level where he's going to help you out? Right. It might take him a month, six weeks to get up to speed. I think it's going to take two months. Yeah. So let's say you assign Ethan Bear. That takes you almost through the deadline, too. Right. So then you're using a roster spot on a guy, too. And I'm not saying they're not going to sign him. Yeah. I'm just saying it's, we, it's, it's, it's not, not the it's, easy fix solution as we make it out to be. No, sometimes. and it's something like it, he's an investment. Like you add Ethan Bear, and then it's like, okay, let's get him up to speed. And at some point this year, he'll help us. But when you have injuries, you're up against a cap. Yeah. Like he, how easy is it for you to caddy a player? around with you yeah and like not necessarily use him not get a lot out of him and and i think that's a question they have to ask themselves because are they using their capital to do that or do you go and try to do something else i don't see them adding a depth player up front on Mm -hmm. the back end like and you know if cole mcward struggles in his chance Mm -hmm. then you may like we mentioned hey explore your internal options but i mean they're going through juleson they're going through friedman you know they they brought hirose up a little bit well then when, when he gets healthy we'll see i mean you're gonna give mcward a chance at some point, you run out of names that are going to make sense for you on the right side. Yeah, you're already almost getting there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you've got a. It, it's the place where they need more solutions. Uh, and you, you sort of look at it and like one more injury on the back end, and how would they be able to sustain that? Um, that would be a big question for this team should that eventually come knocking, and we know injuries – eventually do in the national hockey league so yeah the the defense is there's there's less um usefulness with the defense after you get through the top four guys right we've seen them especially with Susie out you've seen them struggle a little bit not a lot of trust in Noah Juleson or Mark Friedman um what, we'll see what happens with McWard tonight. Even Akito Hirose, there's clearly not a ton of trust there. Yeah. So, right now you're you're already kind of four, five, six names into the <laughs> into the depth pool, and you're not like it's pretty clear the coaching staff doesn't trust any of them. No, and I mean not fully trust them. Yeah. Now the coach has been pretty complimentary about Noah Juleson. It's clear that at least he has some traits they like. He's he's big. He skates fairly well. He can separate man from the puck. They like the fact that he can do those things. He li- they like the physicality, and um, you know he's shown a real willingness to block shots in big spots. Too. Yeah, and you know what? It, if you're not a, a very talented defenseman, you have to eat shots, and he yes. really eats shots, right? Yes. And he is physical. He skates well. Unlike Mark Friedman, I think Mark Friedman doesn't do anything poorly. I don't think he does anything particularly well either. Right. And he doesn't really have plus size, doesn't have plus speed. Like he's well, just we've seen him get turnstiles a couple of times. Exactly. Right? And like he's kind of like at average, below average, slightly below average across the board. Yeah. Which is, you know what? Like we talked about before, it's better than having a guy like that to use him a few minutes. Like it's fine. Like he's a fine depth guy. It's good to have. It's yes. better than the options the Canucks to have. Play right? on your right side, you can you can manage it. Yeah, you can do worse than having guys like Mark. We've seen worse in Vancouver over the years, yes. right? So it's not like he's horrible. He's not. He, he gives you something. 
but there's n- nothing plus about his game. So when he struggles, what's th- what's the reason you're keeping him in the lineup? Whereas with Juleson, as much as he does struggle and he will turn pucks over, he'll do things that aren't great, but he at least has a size, a physicality, block shots, can separate man from the puck, gets the pucks pretty quickly sometimes. So he actually has some physical traits that can help him out. But it's still overall below average. A um, couple of texts coming in. This one, Savvy from Langley, uh, listening live on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Every team relies on their top guys. Look at the shell of a team New Jersey became when Hughes was out of the lineup. Same for the Oilers when Drysaddle and McDavid struggled. I think you need to give Kuzmenko a little more rope to be creative without being scared to be benched if he makes a mistake. I, I don't think Tockett benched Kuzmenko after the first mistake. Like there was a bit of a rope there for him. No, I see. I don't. I don't think it's about mistakes. It's something like he's mentioned. It's puck management decisions at critical times, and yeah. also you know where you need to be defensively. At times, it's but, a little bit still. Like we heard this last year with him, the starts and stops. Yes. Um, Tockett characterized it not as like a. It's not an effort thing, but sometimes like just complacency can creep into your game without almost realizing it. Yeah. And. I think that's kind of what he's getting at. Like Kuzmenko, when we're here, you've got to get to a spot. You're not getting that. You're not getting to that spot. Well, and and to the point, it's like yes, it's true. Sometimes you have to let some players um, have some rope. Yes. And everything, but if you're making the types of mistakes that end up with a puck being in your net, and we've seen a few with Kuzmenko, right? Yes. Like, it's, like we're not sitting here and talking about the coaches being tough on Kuzmenko, and it's like, oh, okay, the plays are referencing are like critical breakdowns, a goal is getting scored, he's not where he needs to be, or he's not doing what they need to do, and those are the things, and those are the types of mistakes in the postseason that cost you series, yes. cost you games. And I'm not pinning everything on Kuzmenko, but if again, if it goes back to our earlier discussion, if this team is going to get to the playoffs, playoff hockey is different. Yeah, everyone knows playoff hockey is different. This team isn't going to be able to turn a switch on and no. change. They haven't done that yet. This team isn't talented enough to just go out there and play loose hockey and win. Loose hockey for this team, we've seen it the last three years. What has it been? Five hundred, mm-hmm. ninety-two point season, yeah. and also below five hundred yeah. in the North Division year. So the last three years, loose hockey—that's what it brought you. Yes, you're not getting to the playoffs. You're not doing what you want. If you want to play April hockey and beyond, you've got to you got to be better. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. And I do agree that Kuzmenko is going to get another chance, and I think he'll be just fine. Honestly, I think he's going to be fine. I'm not as worried about the whole Kuzmenko stuff. I think he'll respond. But the other point about what Savvy mentions, your top guys aren't playing at their best. That's going to limit your overall ceiling. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately the truth. Um, Raymond, I would like these to see the Canucks add some cheap physical players. When hockey gets rough, you need to stick up for the stars. Uh, that's from Raymond. Um, I think they've kind of sort of already done that. Uh, like, I don't want to sign a Ryan Reeves type. Uh, I just don't. I, I would not want to see that happen for the Vancouver Canucks if a uh, – Nick Delorier was available and didn't have to have uh, three years remaining on his contract yeah. or whatever it is. Sure. But, you know, those guys get taken up pretty quickly around the league. And I think it's just, you know, this whole idea of this whole idea of like sticking up for the stars. Like, one, these guys are never on the ice when the stars are out there, generally, right? When is Ryan Reeves out on the ice with Austin Matthews? No. If he is, it's a problem. <laughs> like yeah. You don't want that. So there's no use for that. 
it sort of it just has to be internally there has to be a non-negotiable like if something happens to one of our players we have to respond right away and I know that that hasn't always been there for this club in the last couple of years it seems to have been more often more recently saw it with Sam Lafferty um, just the other night with San Jose when Matt Benning went after Elias Pettersson you know there haven't been a ton of moments this year like that but I think it's just something that has to happen internally and you can't go out somewhere to bring it into your team because it's either with your guys or it isn't. Yeah, and I, th- and I think the only types of guys that make a difference like that are top-end players. You know, like I think that's that's the biggest thing. If you get some other guys, like you can get somebody on the wing that can play with Pedersen full-time. Ter- full yeah. That can also mess you up. <laughs> you know, that's, I think, the type of uh, role players that help you out. You know, uh, Chris and Duncan says Corey Perry is available. <laughs> he is, however, I don't know. Uh, not going anywhere near that one. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> uh, we, we were talking about Mark Friedman. Yes. We got this text. It's funny you guys were just describing uh, Friedman is not really good at anything or not really that bad at anything, just below average. That sounds like your crew there. You guys really aren't that good. You're really not that bad, but you're below average. And you're right. We've seen better, but we've also seen worse. <laughs> so It's a pretty savage text right there. All thoughts are welcome. Uh, I I can appreciate a good chirp every now and again. Uh, This one, can we do a welfare check on Dan after the PDG scratch? No, I think think Dan is... uh... See the thing is, Dan isn't obtuse. Yes. And I think when when he sees a player is 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 you know not playing well and the writing's on the line. I mean, you've been you've been. Man, every PDG. time I would say PDG might be the next guy out of the lineup the last uh, little while. I I w- everybody else around me would be like, whoa, they give me the Tommy DeVito. <laughs> like, like, hey, whoa, what's going on? What are you talking about? I'm just hey, can read the tea leaves, you know? Yeah, it's it's. I think Coach still loves uh, Phil DiGiuseppe and everything he's brought to this team, but I mean, how do you how who do you take out for him? Like right now, Bavillier's doing more, Hoaglander's yes. doing more, Joshua's playing well. On merit, it is the right decision for yeah. this team to make. Um, it's not it's not necessarily so much of what he's not doing, yes. although he's not he hasn't been doing as much. But my thing with with DiGiuseppe right now is if he doesn't have like it felt like he fit on that second line for a bit, and once his uh, effectiveness started to wane a little bit. Like, he doesn't seem to have a role in the lineup when he's not playing that role with JT Miller and Brock Besser. Yeah, and I think that's a bit of an issue. But And especially when Joshua's already playing that four-check role on the yeah. third line, and now Lafferty's on the wing playing that four-check role on that fourth line. And like, where does he fit in all of a sudden? You yeah. know what I mean? Like He's he's not going to be the F1 on any of those lines. So it kind of keeps him on the outside looking in, unless Joshua struggles, unless Lafferty gets hurt or something. If Joshua like, keeps it up, do you give him a shot up there playing as the uh, F1? I mean, They've done sure. it in the past, and it's never really worked. Sure. I just don't think he's the type of player. Like, you know how we talk about like just let, ne- let Niels Hoaglander do his thing? Yeah. Same thing, I think, for, for Joshua. Joshua. Same thing for Connor Garland. I mean, the, the coach today said everything I've been I've been saying about Garland I mean and you know Bo texted in the other day and said you know everyone agrees that Garland's playing well yet Sat's always harping on Garland and being you know critical of Connor Garland and all that but it's, it's not even so much about me being critical of him it's just his fit on the team his best yes. fit is being a guy that can run his own third line like run his own line like he doesn't his game doesn't fit with Miller doesn't fit with Pedersen no. his best version is allowing him to do his own thing on a line where he can be the second guy in on the forecheck like the coach mentioned and be the creator on that line and that suits him perfectly but again it means you can't move that guy into your top six so 
there are some limitations in terms of where you can use guys and what you can do. And I think one of the issues PDG has, especially playing in that top six, and you saw it against Colorado specifically, and you see it when they get hemmed into their own zone, yeah. there isn't enough speed on the wings to close out, win pucks that come loose. Like how many times did we see against Colorado, pucks coming along the wall, and Besser and PDG just couldn't beat the Colorado guys to the wall, to the space to get the puck. Because well, they're, they're not stay- the fastest They're guy. staying on the rail. Yeah. And the coach wants them to stay on the rail. But when you're on the rail, you got to be able to push out to the D-man when the puck comes around to him at the point. Exactly. and they They're just, not getting there fast enough. They're not quick enough to get there. So there are a lot of things in terms of their games where they're just not fast enough, and that's one thing keeping that line. Because teams know that if you get the puck and keep it to the outside with that line, yeah. you can probably hold possession fairly well. They have done a good job of protecting the middle, generally speaking, because they're not getting goal scored on a ton. And that's where it's kind of interesting, where you look at the metrics, is true. They spend a lot of time in their own zone, but they're keeping things to the outside mostly. And when you look at the high danger chances, yeah, there are some shots, but not many second shots, not too many east-west passes, no odd man rushes going the other way. Mm-hmm. So they're doing a good job of, of sealing and defending, but it's a lot of hold on, and there isn't enough um, explosiveness from those guys. And that's one thing I think that line needs, an infusion of a bit more pace. And that's why I think Lafferty could be interesting there. Um, it's, it, it is an interesting idea with, with Sam Lafferty, who I think acquitted himself pretty well on the top line for yeah. these last couple of games. It's just he's a, he's a right-handed shot. He's a natural right winger. You have to throw him on the left wing to do that. Yeah. Probably but, doesn't handle the puck well enough to play on his offhand. And that's probably the issue. But in terms of that speed, the forecheck... Could be, be useful. Yeah. Could be useful. Uh, lots to discuss. Irfan Gaffar going to continue this conversation around your Vancouver Canucks. That is next here on Canucks Central. Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Still to come, Mike Komisarek, part of the Vancouver Canucks development staff. He will join us. His take on uh, Tom Willander and how his season is going so far. So uh, we'll bring in uh, the ex-NHLer to join our conversation coming up just after 5 o'clock. But let's bring in our next guest. It is Canucks insider Irfan Gaffar. What's happening, Irf? What's going on, fellas? How are we doing? Uh, we're doing all right. Just uh, getting ready to see what happens tonight. Uh, Rick Tockett getting Kuzmenko back into the lineup. It's uh, the biggest story. And it's kind of, it's it's been strange, right? Like this guy shows up, scores 39 goals. And the ongoing conversation around him has been like, yeah, he's still learning how to play NHL hockey. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it's uh you know it's like it's like this huge useful tool for the Vancouver Canucks that they have but not quite the finished product even though he's a veteran player. Yeah, I mean I think learning how to play NHL hockey in his own end is probably the biggest thing, right? Yeah. You can score a lot of goals, but if you're on the ice for a lot of goals against, it's not going to make a coach happy. So I think that it's one of the things that they're trying to work with him a lot um to try and you know obviously Make sure you can, you know, you can put the puck in the net as much as you want, but you got to take care of your own end at first. And I think that obviously, you know, he sat out a couple of games and, and, and he's going to learn and he has to learn. And, and I think that that's, that's a big thing. And that's one of the teaching tools that obviously, you know, Rick Tockett is using it. It's tough love. And for a guy like Kuzmenko, I mean, I would expect a very spirited performance from him tonight mm-hmm. after not being in the lineup for a couple of days. I mean, it, the opponent, you know, you don't want to take anyone too lightly and look at what happened against the San Jose Sharks. But, you know, you're not getting the, the, the Boston Bruins in town tonight. You know, you're getting a, 
you're getting a team that you know you you should be able to beat and and you should be able to 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 beat very easily actually so we'll see what happens but um yeah it's 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 all about you know just learning the game and i think that you know for a guy like andre kuzmenko he's still he's still finding that a little difficult he is now the, i think the question uh, a lot of people have is how receptive is he going to be and how receptive are the players to the way the Rick Tockett coaches this team? And it seems like at the very least, like none of them think he's unfair. Like he'll give you another chance. Like for as, as hard as he was on Hoaglander and Dakota Joshua, those guys got a chance to go back and they're staying in the lineup. They're having success. So he's obviously giving guys a chance. Do you think he, it's going over well, his tactics with the team? Um. I, I well, I mean, I definitely do. I think that if you look at their success this season, they're obviously buying what he's selling. You know, they're 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 playing well when they do play well, and then when they don't play well, you know, you see performances like you do against the San Jose Sharks the other night. But I, I think that for a guy like Kuzmenko, I think the tough love thing is good. I mean, you had options for Hoglander to come back, and he played well when he came back. Dakota Joshua, obviously, you know, everyone saw his tough love a little bit. Um, I think that that's just you know, the grind of an NHL season, you know, you can't be perfect every single game. And sometimes you're going to have to sit out and watch. And if you're, you know, uh, the Vancouver Canucks and, and you're Rick talking and you're, you know, a guy like Sergey Gonchar or whoever is that's going to be able to work with him, you know, you're, you're trying really, really hard because you obviously see how much talent there is. It's just about being consistent and fixing the little things in your game that you're not doing properly. Brock Besser is uh, up at 15 goals. Pretty incredible start to the season. Um, we know, you know, the whole trade request, rescinding the trade request. We've talked about it a thousand times. I guess the wonder I have is moving forward. Does Brock, like, has Brock's start to the season, you know, cemented his future as a Vancouver Canuck in a way? Um, I don't know if it's cemented. I think that anything can happen. Right. Right. I, I, I really do. I'm not saying that, you know, the connector actively looking to trade Brock Besser, but I think that. Well, OK, you know, uh, maybe the question is, do they do they view him as more a part of the core with the way that he started this season? Well, they have to. He's leading the team in scoring right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. I think he's a guy that's putting the puck in the net and a really, really high production rate. So, I mean, good for him. He, you know, he's, he's heard the noise and he worked his tail off all summer to come back and, and try and be you know, the player that everyone saw that he once was very early in his career. He obviously, things have been tough the last couple of seasons for him. Absolutely no doubt about that. Um, but when you look at him and, and you look at the way that he's playing and then the things that he's doing, you know, you know, getting into it with a guy in the penalty box, you know, Brock doesn't do that. Like, you, you know, you're not chirping guys back and forth like that. So it's a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, that obviously the flop and things like that, but um, I'm just saying there, there's a little bit more to Brock's game than, uh, people might think and you know everyone wanted to trade him last year and the year before that and you know he's had his name in trade rumors almost every single season but uh, I think this one you can put it to bed a little bit because this Canuck team needs Brock Besser if they're going to make the playoffs and and they need him to keep playing the way that he is they do and, and I do think too that for all the talk about Besser and we spend a lot of time talking about him obviously and have over the years and there are clear shortcomings to his game he's never going to be the fastest type of player right and you know there are questions about whether he should sign a contract or not but I think when a guy has 15 goals in 22 games and he's been as productive as he has been like at some point it doesn't matter what your shortcomings are you're scoring enough goals doesn't it exactly and that's when you look at it to go back to Andre Kuzmenko he's not scoring yeah. Right, and then you see his shortcomings are obviously there a lot more, 
Whereas Brock, you know, he's getting 15 goals. He's putting the puck in the net at a really efficient rate. So you kind of look past some of the deficiencies in his game because he is playing so well. But um, those are something; those are things that he worked on in the summer. That's things that he he knew he had to be better in. You know, getting to those areas where you're just tapping in goals that come off rebounds and, and things like that. Um, putting yourself in your in in positions to succeed. So he's one of those guys that you know took a lot of time in in self improvement. You know, o- over this summer and then the way that things kind of went for for him and then came into the season with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and it's showing. Uh, 15 goals so far, pretty good, pretty pretty good for Brock Besser. It's um, you know we we've seen Elias Patterson struggle here a little bit as well and. It hasn't had a five-on-five goal since uh, since the Dallas game, which is going back a couple of weeks now. But it, it really starts to – you feel it around the roster when Pedersen isn't scoring. You know, the, the bottom six seems to still be chipping in well enough. It's really um, – it, it almost makes you wonder as, as you look ahead to trade season as it approaches, Earth. Like, is this t- – doesn't feel like the Canucks would be looking for more role players. I feel like they've they've done their shopping for role players already by bringing in the Blugers and Lafferty's and and uh, you know uh, even Pew Suter to a certain extent. That's that that shopping's done. It's more shopping for somebody at the top of the roster if they can. Yeah, it's big boy shopping, right? Yeah, and or 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 it's trying to shore up your defense and and your blue line, right? It's how are you going to improve your hockey team? Look, I don't think that Elias Pedersen, we're not going to see him struggle or, or, you know, too, too much longer. I think he's going to break out of this. He's too good of a hockey player to not put points on the board and not put the puck in the back of the net, you know, on, on a consistent basis. So, I mean, he's obviously, I think everyone knows, and it's, it's no secret that, that there is something there. Um, he's not going to admit it, obviously. I mean, it's, it, it's pretty easy to, to see that, and I think he said it before, but, um, you know, guys get hurt and, and guys battle injuries. So, it's going to be interesting to see how kind of like you mentioned where this goes in terms of what are they going to be looking for? Like even the PS suitors, you know, the, the, the Bluegers, the Lafferty's, but how are they going to be able to improve their top six? And is it going to have to come via a, a big trade and are they going to have to, you know, sweeten deals? And we talk about it every single week Sat that, mm-hmm. you know, this team with their assets that they might think that are valuable. A lot of other teams don't. And you're going to have to figure out a way. If you really, really, really want to improve your hockey team, it's going to be one of those quote-unquote hockey trades, or you're going to have to sweeten the deal somewhere. And that's just the reality of where they're at with some of these yeah. contracts. And I think, you know, uh, especially Connor Garland, who's obviously been talked so much about, there is no world where they can trade him without doing something to help facilitate that trade. Like, no team is just taking him off your hands unless they're either giving you money back, either you're retaining or you're giving them some sort of asset going back the other way. So as much as we talk about him, it's just one of those really difficult things to pull off. I think ultimately they have to make room for somebody and it comes down to their UFAs, right? It comes down to what do they ultimately do with Tyler Myers and what happens here with a guy like Anthony Bavillier. And for $4 million wingers, the market's not great unless the cap um, hit isn't that big. And that's not going to really happen until you get to the trade deadline when most of the salary is paid. You can retain some of that money. It's just as much as the Canucks want to do things, it seems like they have to kind of wait as long as possible for those contracts to not look as bad as they look today, maybe. Who's got more of a future here? I'll put it to, I'll put it to you this way. So you, got, you mentioned those two, two free agents. The $4 million winger or Tyler Myers? Myers. Yeah, yeah it's Myers. I agree. Yeah. I agree because the team, they're not going to spend that much money. Bovillier is going to know he's going to go into the offseason 
and you know someone's gonna, someone's going to give him money somewhere. You know he's still a serviceable player. Could obviously play. I think things here might not have worked out, and who's who knows what happens at the trade deadline or you know before that for a guy like Anthony Bovillier. But yeah, definitely Tyler Myers. As much as his name's been you know in the trade and rumor mill for a long time, I think that he definitely has more of a future here um, beyond this season than Anthony Bovillier does. I think the number, as things can come down to the number, we know what they did last year. Now, last year, they were not in a real playoff race, so it was easier for them to trade guys. But I don't think they, they want to hold on to some of their UFAs. That Bluger's a bit different, obviously, right? And, you know, he has a one-year deal, and I don't think they're just looking to sell him. But especially Tyler Myers, like, he can be an asset if you retain the salary at, at the trade deadline. You could get a decent value back. Could you get a third? Could you get something along those lines? Maybe leave it a little bit more. Like, that could be in the cards, especially for what Luke Shen went for. The salary's being a little bit different. But do they do the same thing they did with Shen and say, hey, here's a number in mind for what it would take for us to keep you here? Are you willing to do that? And if he is, maybe he signs an extension. And if he's not, maybe that's where the trade happens. Now, it also depends on how they feel about their depth on the blue line, whether they feel like he can be their own rental or something. But I wouldn't be surprised if there are some conversations not too dissimilar of what happened with the Canucks and Luke Shen about maybe signing an extension at a team-friendly number. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, if Tyler Myers is one of those guys that, that looks at it, looks at his point in the career and says, okay, you know what, our, our forwards are pretty good. We have a really, really, really good goalie. We have probably one of, if not the best defenseman in the National Hockey League right now. Do I want to take a little bit less money and maybe try and give this thing a go and see if we can win as a 5-6 defenseman, right? You can't be paid like a top four if you're going to sign an extension. No. It's going to be on the lower end. And is it something that he's willing to do? I mean, he's made a ton of money in his career already. But is that something that he, he looks at in his future and says, if it's on the table, is this something that I'm willing to do? Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how far we've come with Myers, <laughs> to be honest. But yeah, but it's also he, reality of like there are no righty defensemen. Yeah. Like you look at no, the, the you look at the free agent market next year, and it's like Brett Pesce if he gets there, and then it's like Myers and Chris Tanev. Yeah, I guess you, I just wonder like, is there enough room for Myers and Tanev on this blue line next year? So if, well, Brett Pesci is going to get overpaid somewhere. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. So, right. so what's what's the TANF contract going to be? Three to three and a half. Like, I don't see Vancouver signing Myers for no, for like more even, than two, I don't two think and a half. For here, I don't think for here it's three and a half. I, I think it's like three. Yeah. I think, I think three times three. So would you do maybe? Would you do Myers and TANF two year deals each if TANF signs for two years at three million per and Myers signs two years at two point five? Yeah, I probably would. I mean, if, if, if you're looking for guys that, you know, have, have some stability in your blue line, you know, that aren't going to be the offensive guys because you already have those. You've got Ronick, you've got obviously Quinn Hughes, um, and, and, and you've got Susie who can play, and you've got obviously Ian Cole. You know, you've got, you've got guys like that defense core right there that we just mentioned, all those names. Um, that's not bad, right? And the way you interchange those guys and, and figure out the pairings, are like, uh, I mean, I would. I, I, I don't think that this team is going to go out and be able to acquire like one of those quote unquote stud defensemen yeah. or, or a top four guy. I think that if you're looking to improve, it's, um, you know, the depth to be completely honest. I mean, Freeman's a great story. He's been playing well. He battles hard for his teammates, but it's definitely, it's, it, it's definitely a little bit more on more, more depth to this team. And so you can have Freeman be an eighth guy and have a guy like a Chris Tanner play every single night. Well, you know, it's just too hard to, once you eat up the money that Elias Pettersson and, and Philip Peronik's new contracts are going to cost you, I mean, there's just there's not going to be a lot left over to acquire another big time type salary in free agency. It's it's probably going to be another free agency where they're kind of bargain hunting for 
what's around and some utility players that are around two million bucks and maybe these right shot defensemen that they, that we were just talking about because Sat and I have ballparked it like Pedersen and Hronik are probably costing eighteen, nineteen million together. Yeah. 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 Probably. I think that sounds about right. And if you're them, you hope that twenty on the high end. Like twenty on the absolute high end. Yeah. Well, and you hope that one of these guys in Abbotsford can can push for roster spot and and you know, you you nailed one of your draft picks in, in, in the last recent memory. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you obviously mentioned commentary and talk about Bill Ender and, and, and things like that, but you know, you hope that one of these guys can be able to come in and not just on the defensive end, but also, you know, maybe in your top six or, or, or maybe in your bottom six, four group that you have these guys come in on cheap and, and, and they're able to, you know, be able to produce right away. Uh, before I let you go, Irf, what do you make of uh, this entire situation in Chicago with Corey Perry? Because it's been quite the day today. There's, there's been so many rumors, pretty salacious rumors on social media, stuff that really shouldn't be taken seriously, but yeah. that's stuff that's kind of been out there. So obviously everybody has a ton of questions. And today, Kyle Davidson, the general manager of the team, he came out and made a statement met with the media after the team made it clear they're terminating um, – Corey Perry's contract due to conduct detrimental. They didn't go into details of what it was, but one thing Kyle Davidson made very clear was it did not involve any players or any any family members of the players to kind of put a few of those, uh, like he said, disgusting rumors to rest. But in terms of what happened with Corey Perry and people wondering why is it not getting out there, there could be real uh, privacy reasons for this. I mean, if this situation involves, say, somebody else, that's an employee of the Blackhawks potentially, then they can't really say much because then it's a privacy issue here. So I think as much as people want to hear more, I think it's one of those where it's, it's pretty tough unless somebody wants to get into hot water legally. Well, that's what it is, right? Legal HR, whatever it is. And obviously, you know, Kyle Davidson came out and, and said exactly what he said. And, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of people listening to this are going to know about the rumors that, that have been going around and, and things like that and, and what's happened. But, you know, the I mean, good on the Blackhawks for going out and actually addressing it um, and, and doing what they did. And, you know, for Corey Perry now, it's, you know, uh, is it the end of the road? Probably. Dude's 38 years old. He was brought to that Blackhawks team to be a veteran presence and, you know, help, help the young guys and kind of, you know, he's been to how many Stanley cup finals now in his career um, and, you know, try and help them get on their feet and, and, and learn how to be a pro. But if you're not being a pro and leading by example, then there's obviously some sort of issue that, you know, goes well beyond what we actually know happened. Um, but, I mean, for the Blackhawks, I think organizationally you move forward. Uh, you said you're going to terminate this contract. And I know that a lot of people and a lot of people in the media are going to speculate about what happened. We don't really know. Um, no one really has any idea until, you know, something maybe does come out. But I don't think it will, to be completely honest. But, um yeah, I think that, you know, if, if you're the Chicago Blackhawks, this is one of those things where, you know, you have guys like on your team, like a, a, a Nick Foligno, who's now going to be, you know, a big voice. And you got guys like in that room, like Taylor Hall. And this is a, a very big uh, learning lesson and, and, and learning curve, I guess, for, for a guy like Connor Bedard, right, to be completely honest. You know, you, you hear things, you see things, you read things, and how are you going to be able to, you know, um, overcome some of these things and, and go and be that great hockey player that you are. And not just him as well, not just him on that team, but there's a lot of young kids on that team. I mean, they're in a huge transition period. So um, kind of glad it's over. We were reading a lot of crap on Twitter the last, you know, yeah. few days and, 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 and seeing what was going on and being said. And 
you know, the texts were flying left, right, and center, and, you know, obviously people talking about it, but uh, kind of glad it's finally put to rest a little bit. I get that there's some people in the media and things like that that really want to know what happened, but, you know, at some point it, it's got to stop, and, and, and you kind of got to, you know, just forward this a little bit if you're the Blackhawks. The meme culture, a little bit uh, out of control. Uh, it's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, Irfan Gabbard. Yeah, the internet, uh, the internet, the internet is, is is undefeated. Yeah, still absolutely. <laughs> um, before we let you go, um, I, I, we've been texting about this all day, so I got to ask you about it. Does Tiger Woods win another tournament? <laughs> you know what? It was really funny when I saw you have Ian McIntyre on. Ask him about the bet he made me a couple years ago <laughs> when he said Tiger would never win another major. And I took that, and he, and and he won the Masters. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I, I'm almost willing to take that bet again. Oh, <laughs> uh, one day we'll see. He's gonna play the the Hero World Challenge this weekend. We'll see if he's walking the same on Sunday that he w- that he is on Thursday, and then uh, and then then we'll go. Well, from he said he's, he's he's telling people that he's walking with really little to no pain, and he's yeah. he was obviously carrying Charlie's bag around the golf course for four yeah. days. Yeah. Uh, Man, I, I want to believe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm ready to get hurt again. And you're going to get hurt. <laughs> you're going to well, get hurt. Speaking of hurt, man, that's oh, I was hurt in Seattle on Thursday. Oh, that was a tough one. Gino, Gino Smith, he needs he needs an O-line. That might help. Uh, thanks, well, we're gonna, we're gonna All right, guys. <laughs> there he is. Irfan Gaffar joining us here yeah. on uh, Canuck Central. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. Front row seat to Seattle, uh, getting their their teeth kicked in by the San Francisco 49ers last Thursday. Yes, yes. On uh, gobble gobble day. Yeah, not a great, not not no. a lot of fun. Not a lot of fun. Um, you know, on the Chicago thing, I know people are texting in uh, saying, uh, "How do people take the Blackhawks organization at their word?" This has nothing to do, uh, like, m- in terms of uh, defending the Blackhawks or anything. And it says, "How are they still not transparent? Uh, why shame the fans? Why isn't holding the Blackhawks accountable important?" Okay, I'm fine with keeping the Blackhawks accountable. This has yes. nothing to do with the Blackhawks. What what we're saying is the stuff out there in terms of some of the rumors, they're pretty bad and yes. probably not accurate. That's the only thing. Now, in terms of the Blackhawks, 100%. Like yes. I have I have no interest in defending them. My point being here is, like they mentioned, it's a workplace matter. It did not involve, like they said, mm-hmm. uh, players and their families. If it is a workplace matter. It becomes a legal issue in terms of privacy. Like yeah. that's just like now they could be lying. Sure. Like I'm not saying take him at their word, but if that's what they're saying, and it's if it's not involving players and their families, then there is only so much you can say. Now, even if it did involve players and their families, they still can't come out and talk about it because it's n- privacy again. Yeah. So those are things that whether you as the Blackhawks or not is different than somebody committing an actual crime. If there was a criminal element to this completely different story then it's like you have to be transparent you have to you know turn over evidence and doing all this sort of stuff if it's not a criminal matter and it's a workplace private matter there's only so much that can be said so in terms of us speculating and what we can talk about what we can report it gets sticky because there is uh hearsay and untruths which are could have legal issues Mm -hmm. next to them and there are things that you can actually talk about so this has nothing to do with defending the blackhawks it has everything to do with what do you want people to come out and say? They want to, you want to read salacious rumors yeah. and stuff when you go and ask people, say it's not true. <laughs> and if you ask, like, what's going on, you try to find out, like, what, listen, it's hard to find out what, what's going on. But when you ask people that will be connected that don't like the Blackhawks, they shoot down a lot of those rumors. They're like, they're like whatever you may have read, it's not what's happening. There well, is something going on, but it's not that which is happening. And I, I know it took until today for Kyle Davidson to completely deny those rumors publicly. 
But there were numerous reporters in the Chicago area that had already reported that that rumor is untrue. Yes. Charlie so, Rumiolis. Yes. He so, came out and, and reported it. Uh, Listen, Frank you- Valley this morning did it as well. You know, like that. They didn't do it publicly for whatever reason until 4 p.m. Central today when Kyle Davidson spoke. But part of that is probably what you're speaking about, Sat. It's a legal matter. When you're just, like, canceling somebody's $4 million contract, that doesn't happen overnight, you know? So um, there was obviously a situation here that's gone on, and the Blackhawks have dealt with it. Now, I'm not saying there shouldn't be an investigation into what's happened. Like, the league needs to look at what's going on with the Blackhawks. 100%, by all means, go ahead. The point being, though, why should we be talking about salacious rumors yes. and being like, they have to answer for these salacious rumors. This is what's being reported. I mean, that's that's the, it's unfair to the in- individuals that are being talked about. Very unfair. Very unfair to those individuals. Like, that's what it comes down to. Like, screw the Blackhawks. Sure. Like, investigate them. Throw the book at them. I, I'd love to see them get banned. I hope they lose more first-round draft picks. For sure. Like, look into them. Yep. But all I'm saying is when stuff like this comes out, you got to also be careful with what you say. You can't just be throwing salacious rumors out there. You got to, you got to have some level of discipline here. It's uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah coming up. Canucks development staff, Mike Komisarek, he's going to join us. His take on Tom Melander, Hunter Brustovich, and more next on Canucks Central.